Good morning. We are glad you're here today. First day of the week, God's people all over the world gathering together. I'm glad we can be together here at Great Oaks to start a new week in worship to God. Thank you so much for being here. We have a lot of visitors today. Thank you. Thank you for being part of our worship assembly this morning. We hope we get to say hi to you before the day is over, before you leave today. Uh, we always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be at Great Oaks. We are trying to simply be Christians. Uh, we don't want to be denominational. We don't think God wants that. We, we're trying to just be undenominational followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why we put Church of Christ on the sign. We only claim the name of Jesus Christ. And so if you have any questions about Christianity or any questions about us, please let us know. We're trying to help each other follow the Lord, try to help each other get to heaven. So if you have any questions about us, please let us know. We're glad that you're here today. A few things we're excited about before we jump into our lesson. A few couple people who've been baptized into Christ we want to make sure we recognize. Hunter, would you stand up for just a second? He said he's nervous about this. Don't be nervous about this, Hunter. We're on your team. Uh, Hunter was baptized into Christ two weeks ago. Uh, here at Great Oaks, after our Sunday morning assembly, he's been meeting with Chase on Wednesday nights to talk about baptism and the Christian commitment, and we're excited he made this big decision. You can see here on the picture his dad, Jeremy, his dad, Keith, all part of that, uh, baptizing him into Christ. Um, we're excited about that, and he is Hunter's 11th grader. Baptism is a new birth, it's a beginning, and so we look forward to watching Hunter continue to grow in his faith. Hunter, we're excited about your decision. Also, Garrett Daniels. Garrett, would you stand up just a second, let everybody see you. This is Garrett. If you haven't met Garrett yet, he's been visiting with us here at Great Oaks. New to the Memphis area. And if I have the story right, met Caitlin Purvis in Shelby Farms Park. She invited him to come, and he's been coming ever since. You can have a seat. I'll share a little bit more about you. Uh, Garrett grew up as a, in the Lutheran church, and so he's had a belief in Scripture and a, and a sincere heart of following Jesus for a while, but had never got to study what the Bible says about baptism. And I really appreciate Garrett because he's got uh, pages full of notes that he's been writing down, verses and what they say about baptism. And so we're excited for him and having his sins washed away in baptism. And he did that last Sunday night right before our evening worship. And so if you haven't got to meet Hunter or Garrett, make sure you meet them. Be praying for them as they continue to grow in their faith. Really glad for the decision you guys have made. I also want to say a big thank you real quick about September. We just finished, I hope, what I think was a good September. We set a new Great Oaks Bible class record on our first ever breakfast and Bible class Sunday. That was fun. We'll have to do that again. We celebrated 10 years of a bilingual church family. I think all that was good. Thank you for being part of that. As today starts October, this is something we want to highlight this morning. Two weeks from today, we start our 40 days of prayer. This is a Great Oaks tradition. What we do every fall, we take 40 days to focus on our individual prayer lives. And so what we do, we ask people to turn in prayer devotionals, something around the theme this year of increase our faith. And what we try to do each day, we will email out the devotional. You have a booklet you could take home if you just want to read it by yourself each day. We'll connect a link to our website and to our social media with that daily devotional. And we want all of us to read the devotional for the day and challenge ourselves to spend time in private prayer just between us and God. It is a faith-building time to just spend time in prayer. We're busy. We're too busy. We try to do too many things. And what we hope this annual uh, activity does is just helps us refocus, helps us slow down to know that everybody else is doing it too. We're all trying as a church family to slow down a few minutes a day and spend time talking to God. So we hope that will be a faith-building time as it always is. If you can turn in a prayer devotional, please do that. Let us know if you have questions about it. But we'll start our 40 days two weeks from today, 
and day 40 appropriately is Thanksgiving Day, and that's the way we do it. So let us know if you have questions about that as well. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll start our lesson for the morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our God. We honor you as the creator of the universe, as our Father, who has loved us and guided us and and paved the way for us to be saved. God, we're so thankful for your word, the way it it works in our hearts and our lives, and we're thankful for for every step at which we draw closer to you. God, this morning we're thankful for Hunter and for Garrett and their decisions to be baptized into you. God, we pray that you've done everything in those baptisms that you promised you would do, that you've washed their sins away, that you've added them to your kingdom, that you've united them with your son and with his death. And God, as they continue to grow in faith, we pray that you'll pave the path for them, that when they fail, you'll help them to get back up, and that you'll wash them clean all over again. And God, help us to be the, the church families that will help them grow in faith, as we all try to do for each other. Lord, as we study your word together this morning, I pray that our hearts are open to what your word says. I pray that we'll leave here more ready to live for you with a, a heart that's maybe even more pure than we walked in with. And God, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you haven't been with us, our theme for 2023 is Let Us Arise and Build. Our young people are studying that theme in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah and their Lads to Leaders Youth Training Program. And so we, we took that theme for our whole congregation for the whole year to think about uh, that great idea of, hey, let's, let's get moving again. That's what's going on in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We're coming out of a crazy two years and a time of, of COVID and habits getting built in all sorts of different directions. And so we wanted this year to be a reminder to get moving again if we haven't been, to maybe get the habits back where they need to be. Let us arise and build. You know, one of the amazing things about life is God has made it where we can build things in our life. We, we're, on a, we're on a timeline. And each day connects to the next. And if you are learning something one day, you can build on that the next day and it grows in your life. If you started a habit one day, you can build on that the next day and it grows in your life. But habits can go two different ways, can't they? Sometimes we grow the right way and sometimes we grow the wrong way. And sometimes as time goes on, we build the wrong things in our life. And so I'd like us to take a few weeks and maybe just some random lessons too in these last few months of the year to talk about how sometimes we build the wrong things. Sometimes if we want to grow closer to God, we've got to start by unbuilding some things, tearing down some things that shouldn't be there. And this morning, if you saw the outline and you can see here on the screen, we're going to start actually this morning and next Sunday morning. We're going to talk about the challenge of money. So we're going to do this for two weeks. I do that for a few different reasons. Number one, it's been a few years. I was looking back at my record. It's been a few years since we had a, a lesson where we just dug in on what does the Bible say about money. Another reason I feel like it's worth two weeks, the Bible says a lot about our relationship with money. The count I saw in one book, I didn't count it myself, but one book said over 2,000 verses in the Bible talk about our relationship with money in some way. And so this is a big part of our faith. And then number three, we are living in the wealthiest country on earth. This is probably going to be a temptation or a struggle somewhere along the way for us, for people who are trying to follow God. Because we're in a place where we often think we measure people's real worth by their finances. Or where people feel like their whole life can become their finances. So we just need to remind ourselves, I think it's worth a couple weeks to make sure 
we're not building the wrong things in our life, the wrong perspective, the, and there's so much that'll be said. I hope it'll be a good reminder about what the Bible says about money. So here's what we'll do. We're going to start this morning with a story from Jesus. And if you're keeping the outline, write down Luke 12, 13 through 21. A story Jesus tells about money and about faith. And we'll use this to, to get our main thought for this morning. So here's what, how it happened. A lot of times when Jesus tells these parables, just seeing the context helps you understand what's, why it's so significant. And here's what happened, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him. So this happens every now and then. Jesus, he's got a crowd around him. He's teaching, he's preaching. And sometimes you see people just ask him questions. And so I don't know if he had you know, prepared thoughts for a while and then people would ask questions. Or I wish I knew exactly how this would often work. But someone speaks up and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. We don't know all that's going on there. We know it's supposed to be done fairly. We know in the Old Testament, the oldest son was supposed to get a bigger percentage than the younger. We don't know which one this guy was. We don't know what was happening. But there's a, there's a family struggle. He says, Jesus, help me. Tell my brother. Maybe his brother's there in the crowd. We don't know. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. You notice Jesus' answer. I'm not going to be part of that discussion. Maybe Jesus knew something about it that that wasn't appropriate. But he says, I'm not going to be part of that. But you'd be careful because greed can, can become part of your life And even if you have a lot, that's not your life, Jesus says. That's not your life. Even if you have a lot, that's not who you really are. And then he tells a story, verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. So he's got so many crops. He, he can't, I guess he's sold what he needs to sell. He's used what he needs to use. He's, I've just got so, much, so many crops, I don't even know what to do with them. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So you see his plan. I've been, I have so much. I'm, I'm going to make bigger barns, and I'm just going to kick back and enjoy life. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. That's a strong, strong biblical language. You fool, someone who is denying God. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So in the story Jesus tells, God speaks to this man and says, tonight you're going to die. And this is what you cared about. And someone else is going to have it. And that's the way the world works. And Jesus ends with, that's what happens when you store up treasure for yourself and you're not rich toward God. Now, sometimes we look at this parable and we wonder exactly, okay, what is Jesus, what is he saying and what is he not saying about money here? 
And so let's start with what, he, what I don't think he's saying. Because if you pull everything the Bible says together about money, there's some things I don't think Jesus is condemning in this passage. So the problem here was not having wealth. That, that was not the problem with this man in the story that Jesus tells. Jesus is not saying this guy is bad because he has money. Uh, in fact, I mean, God had blessed him with the, the land, had been productive. Some of the f- most faithful people in all of Scripture were people that, that had money, people like Job, people like Abraham. David, Solomon were very blessed of God. God, The Bible is not anti-money, and so sometimes people get that confused, I think. Uh, the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so that's a, that's a heart distinction we've got to keep in mind. So I, the problem wasn't that he had wealth. The problem also wasn't that he'd worked hard. It sounds like this guy cares. He's, he is pouring himself into his land and his crops, and he's serious about it. I'm going to build some bigger barns so we can... We can have more storage space. And, and so he's a hard worker. That's not the problem. Jesus isn't condemning that, that he's worked very hard at what he's done. In fact, that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to be workers. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. I'm always interested by the first part of this verse. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. Let's just focus on the part I've underlined there. God wants us to be workers. He wants us to have a work ethic. As Colossians 3.23 says, when we do our work, do it as if you're doing it for God. That's the way a Christian should stand out in the workplace. I realize your boss isn't always the nicest person. I'm sure your customers aren't always the nicest people, but we are working as if we're working for God. And so Christians will look different in the workplace than everybody else. Uh, with all, I, know, I know people are frustrated. But, but the problem with this guy was not that he's a hard worker. That's not the problem. The problem also was not that he'd saved up. That's, that's not a bad plan. To, to Wow, God has blessed me, and so I need, I need bigger barns to, to save up more of this crop so it doesn't just stay out and, and waste. I don't, don't just want to throw it away. And so the problem is not saving. You see that several, several times in Scripture, several times in Proverbs. Uh, maybe the most memorable one in Proverbs is when the Proverbs say in chapter 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard. A sluggard was, was a lazy person. It says, be like the ant, sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. She has no chief, no officer, no ruler. There, there's no boss telling the ant what to do. But she prepares her food in the summer, gathers her provision in the harvest. And so the ant is going to be ready for the winter time, I think, is the implication of this verse, because she has gathered and, and held it together. So the problem's not that he's saving. The problem's not that he has money. The problem's not that he's working hard. The problem's not that he's saving. Jesus identifies two things here that, that I think were the problem. The first one, the problem was, as you heard at the very end of the parable, he was not rich in the right thing. In other words, you put all your effort into this, and this ends. It's fine to put effort into that, but you haven't put effort into the one thing that's going to matter, the one thing that's going to matter when, when life is over with, that your soul is going to be somewhere. And that's how Jesus ended the whole parable. Remember, God says to him in verse 20, This very night your soul is required of you. You're going to stand before God. You're going to be somewhere for eternity. And now who will own what you've prepared? It's not yours forever. Your stuff is not yours forever. Your money's not yours forever. So is the man. Don't miss this last verse. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's the problem. The problem was not that he had treasure. The problem was not that it was stored up. 
It was that he had done so much to store it up and he had neglected the most important thing in life. Jesus says, that's the problem. And so maybe this guy that asked the question from the crowd, maybe Jesus saw that in him. Maybe he saw it in all of us, that we can all be tempted in this direction. Don't build so much for here that you miss what's most important. And then the second thing, Jesus saw the source of the problem that came from the question. The source of the problem was greed. Did you notice there at the very beginning, right before he told the story, there in verse 15, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For even when you have a lot, that's not your life. Your life doesn't consist in your stuff. I think we need to make sure we listen to Jesus' message about, our, about being on guard for every form of greed. So here's the way I'd like to do the rest of this morning and next week. So next week, the Bible says a lot about what we should and shouldn't do with money and, and, our, and those sorts of things. I want to start with today just the warning Jesus gives there. Because there's a heart warning I think is worth starting with. Before we look at the do's and don'ts, there's a heart warning that says, Hey, be careful. Jesus says to us, be careful that you don't let greed become part of who you are. And this is a challenge. Uh, it's a challenge, maybe especially in our culture, but probably in all of them. And so let's talk about the challenge for a minute, because I, I don't want this to be me. You don't want this to be you. How can we make sure we don't let greed become part of our life and start neglecting the most important thing? Uh, so greed in the Bible, let's talk about how serious it is. It's called idolatry. Now what in the world? So idolatry is where you, where you worship something else or you trust something else to be your protection. You know, people would pray to these idols, protect me, help my crops to grow. They're, they're trusting these idols to give them in life what they, what they should have been trusting God with. And so he, they say it's idolatry. Look at these verses. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's the same word. Greek and English here that Jesus used in Luke chapter 12. Um, Consider your body dead to greed. That is idolatry. You are trusting money or stuff to do something that you should be trusting God to do. You're loving what money or stuff gives you more than what God is trying to give you. It said the same thing, and it says the same thing in Ephesians 5, verse 5. And here the New American Standard translates it covetous. But it's the same word in Greek that Jesus used. Uh, Let me read the verse. It says, For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. To covet something is, is to say, I want what you have. I want what they have. I want to make that mine. Um, and he says, that's idolatry. It's the same thing, greed, coveting. I want more. I want what people have. I want, I want to be held up as having these things. He says, that's idolatry. And what's scary about this form of idolatry is that it is very good at hiding itself. It's always been challenging to me to talk appropriately about money and Scripture because in part there's so many invisible lines when you talk about how do I know when I'm, if I become materialistic? How do I know if I put money above God? It's not a number of like how much money you have. It's not how you spend your money. 
and in part at least, there's always invisible lines. And so sometimes even in myself, it's hard, if we're looking at ourselves, it's hard to know, have I crossed the line? Am I, am I saving or, or am I hoarding? Am I, am I enjoying what God has given me or have I become selfish and I'm just spending it all on myself and not sharing like I, sh- I should be? There's all these difficult, invisible questions. We were in a Bible class years ago, um, and we're, we're studying uh, the book Counterfeit Gods. And it was talking about different things we make idols in our life. And this was one of them. And somebody said in the class, and it was insightful, I thought, they said, this is one of those sins that if you're not careful, it sneaks up on you. And, and you realize it's there. And I thought, I guess that's true. Like if you're lying, for example, you, you know you're lying. It hadn't snuck up on it most of the time. You've lied. You chose to lie, you lied. This might be one that you, you've drifted and you look in the mirror one day and you say, you know, I've made money way too big a deal in my life. I need, to, I need to calm that down more than it's been. Maybe they're right about that. This is something that, that can sneak up on you. So it hides it from, our, from ourselves. It can even hide it from you as it's building in your life. It's hidden from other people. It's hard to be able to, for other people to see that you've got this problem in your heart. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler in Scripture... There's this guy who comes up to Jesus, and as you put together the gospel accounts, he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler of something. We don't know what he ruled, but those are the descriptions that go along with him. And he comes up and he talks to Jesus, and he's been keeping all the commandments. He has a conversation, conversation with Jesus, and he's been keeping all the commandments of God. And Jesus says, here's what you're lacking. You need to sell your stuff and give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy couldn't do it. But no one would have known that was his problem. Only Jesus could have seen in his heart to see, this guy's struggling with money. And it's holding him back from being right with me. Because no, everybody else would have looked at him from the outside and said, hey, he's keeping the commandments of God. Looks like a pretty good guy. I mean, he's, he's doing the right things. He's got money, but you know, it's nothing wrong with that. No one could have seen it except God. So this is invisible. It's good at hiding itself. It's going to be really hard to approach someone from the outside and say, you know, I'm, I'm worried you're struggling with greed. I'm worried you're struggling with materialism because it's just, it's an invisible sin. It's a heart sin. And so it, it hides it from ourselves. It hides it from other people. And that book, Counterfeit God, says something that I think is, I've been convinced that it's true. It says sometimes the struggle with money, if it becomes a heart struggle, he calls it a surface idol. And he compares it to like an iceberg. So like an iceberg, you know, you see the top of the iceberg, but there's a much bigger iceberg underneath. Or, or a tree. You see a big tree, there's a much bigger root system underneath. He said if, if greed or money is our struggle, he said there's usually a deeper struggle beneath that that has led to a money struggle. If you see on the outline, let me put a few of those up here. A few of these sometimes deeper idols, if we're not careful, that lead to a love for money. And we got to dig into those to help fix those to make sure money doesn't become an idol. So here's what he says, for example. Control and security might be a deeper heart idol. So maybe I'm thinking to myself, you know, the world could go any direction. It's a scary world out there. And I just need to, I need to get as much money as I can to be able to face whatever the future holds, whatever the future throws at me. And so that becomes a fear. That, that's my deeper struggle. And so then it can result in a greed, a love for money, a worry about things, an obsession with trying to get as much as I can. 
I can't just say, okay, stop worrying about money. I've got to deal with that. I've got to get beneath the money thing and say, okay, why am I, why am I so worryful about money? Why, why am I? Maybe it's control and security. For some people, the struggle may be power and influence. Some people want to win. They want to, they want to be the best. And so that I've got to beat somebody. If I get more money, I'll be better than that person. Or I'll show that person who doubted me. Or people will think I'm better than others and maybe respect me or treat me differently if I have a certain amount of money. And so, okay, why am I so obsessed with money? Maybe that's the, the deeper heart struggle. I've become obsessed with, with power and influence and, and it's resulted in a love for money. What about approval? Sometimes you just want people to say, you know what, they're doing well. They're doing well in life. I don't want people to think I'm not doing well. I want people to think I'm doing all right. So, so money becomes my vehicle to get me there. I want people to look at me and say I'm doing well in life. And I want their approval of, of how I do things. One more of these possible deeper heart idols on the list I'm putting up here. Maybe just selfish desires. God wants us to enjoy what He's given us. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, about verse 17, says He's given us what He's given us to enjoy. God wants us to enjoy His blessings. But sometimes we can make our whole life about, here's what I want for me, and here's what I want to do for me, and here's what I want to see in the world for me, and and it becomes, okay, money's my my path to get there. But it's a deeper thing than just money. There's a selfishness there that, that that I've put in my heart. I think he's right about that. To me, I don't, I don't know what you think about that. I'd love to hear about your thoughts later. I think he's right about the idea that a love for money often comes from something deeper in our hearts. And if we're going to deal with the, the love for money problem, we've got to dig down. And we've got to ask ourselves, very honestly, okay, what, what of those deeper heart idols do I struggle with? Just ask yourself, between you and God, don't say it out loud. Don't write it down. Don't have to tell your neighbor. Just between you and God... Are any of those your struggle? Do you struggle with that fear of control and security? And might tempt you to love, think money's the way to get there. Do you struggle with the, the desire for power and influence and think money is your path? Do you struggle for approval from other people and think money is the way to get there? Do you struggle with selfish desires that all you want to do in life? Maybe getting out of control and you think money's the path to get there. Let's spend our last couple minutes then. How do you change that? How do you change that deeper struggle into something healthier? And I think this is a good way to think about it. Uh, So I've got up here a biblical principle to change this temptation. So what that Counterfeit God's book says, again, I think there's a good thought here too, says that that love for money cannot just be removed. It's got to be replaced. So what do you put in its place? Well, why don't we try putting 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 in its place, as we dig down into our hearts, make sure we're not falling in love with these deeper life idols that we think money is going to get us a path to, and end up falling in love with money and putting our spiritual life to the side. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he's talking about how the church was collecting money to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so he's encouraging them on that. It's one of the, the great chapters that helps us think about why we give to God's work and all those sorts of things. But look what he says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, he, He's in heaven, He's the Son of God, he, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. 
That's the gospel, isn't it? That Jesus left heaven to come suffer here on earth, to die on a cross, to be spit on, to be rejected, so that through his poverty, we become rich. If I understand that verse right, we're already rich. (laughs) If we're seeing it clearly, Jesus has given us the things that make us rich. And whatever those deeper heart idols are that we think money's going to solve, God's already taken care of that through Jesus Christ. If you're worried about the future or where life may go, you're not alone. But you know what? You have God with you. You have, you have the God who, who holds the world in His hand, who listens to you even more than He listens to other people because you are a child of His. I don't have to worry about control and security. Like God's with me. He walks with me. I don't have to worry about status, the status of power and influence and approval. You're, you're a child of God. You, you, are, you are someone who the Holy Spirit lives in in some way. You, Jesus Christ is in your life. You, you, are, you are in a special way connected to God. You don't have to worry about status. You've got everything you need. You don't have to worry about selfish desires. You don't have to worry about, about enjoying life. You've got, a, you've got a family. You've got peace. You've got what God promises an eternity that He calls the joy of your Lord, that you're going to love it, Jesus says. You don't have to worry about all the selfish desires. Everything you think money is going to give you, if you have Jesus Christ, you've already got it. Already got, and I think that's true. I, I think that's a great way to refill our heart with the right perspective. Whatever I think it's going to give me, keep working, keep saving, keep, keep doing what you're supposed to do, but, but it's already taken care of. The real riches are already accomplished through Jesus Christ. In fact, in Luke 12, after he tells that story, of the rich fool, as we call him, the very next verse, look what he says. For this reason, what reason? The story I just told. For this reason, since you don't want to be rich in money and not rich toward God, don't worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Don't worry about that stuff. You're with God. He's going to take care of you. And he makes promises later. This is part of what Clayton read before I got up here. Everybody in the world's worried about stuff. The nations of the world are seeking all the things. I need enough money. I need enough, I need enough all sorts of things. Your father knows you need these things. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus adds the word first. Seek his kingdom first, and these things will be added to you. That's a promise from God. Put me first. And you will have what you need. Keep working. Keep, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing in life. But if you're seeking God, you're going to be all right. So I like the perspective that says, let me refill my heart. Not with worries about the future that money might take hold of. Not with a desire for status that money, I think, is my vehicle to get there. I need to refill my heart with, Jesus Christ gave up his wealth to make me rich in the most important stuff. I've already got, if I'm a child of God, I've already got what I need. And then I can approach life and money with a much healthier perspective. Not something to get carried away with, not something to be greedy about, not something that's going to take over my life. I can use it appropriately because I've got my heart in the right place. I hope that's encouraging to us. My last thought this morning, right before that verse 5 in Colossians 3 we looked at earlier, where he says greed is idolatry. Let me read verses 4 and 5. He says, When Christ, who is our life... What a a great description. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, 
then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. In other words, when He comes back, you're going to be right there with Him. And you're going to have everything your heart has ever wanted in Jesus Christ, here and in eternity. Therefore, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, talking about sexual sin, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Consider your body dead to greed, because Christ is your life. So we start our two weeks on what the Bible says about money. I hope that's a good reminder. So let's end right there. May we remember at the heart level, Christ is my life. In a, in a bigger sense, there's not much else I need. All I need is Jesus Christ. He takes care of all the things I'm worried about in life. Um, let's get our hearts in that right place, and then we can approach the world with the right perspective. If we can help you in any way spiritually, let us know. Uh, again, that's why we're here. We're trying to follow Jesus Christ. We're trying to help each other follow Jesus Christ. If you'd like us to pray with you about anything, if you'd like to talk about your faith privately, if you'd like to start studying the Bible together, maybe you're learning about Jesus, thinking about becoming a Christian, we'd love to talk with you about that. Let us know. We're about to sing a song of invitation. And this song is an opportunity for anybody to come before the whole church family and take a step of faith. If you're not a Christian, this is how they did it in the Bible. They heard about Jesus Christ. You'll notice every one of these is a, is a Christ-based step that you find in the New Testament. You hear about Jesus Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. You repent, which is a commitment to live for Jesus Christ. And then you confess your faith in Jesus and you're baptized into Jesus Christ, as Acts 2.38 says, for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're ready to take those steps this morning, we'd love to see you do that. We'd love to see you confess your faith in Jesus and begin living life for Him having your sins washed away in baptism. Or if we can pray for you about sin or anything else going on in your life, we'd love to do that. If you'd like to take a public step of faith this morning, everybody come to the front now while we stand, while we sing. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.